Oh man, you didn't you didn't say this was gonna be like hard hitting. <laughs> <laughs> this is serious journalism. Hi, this is Oliver. And this is Eleanor. We're from the Present Group. We sat down with Steve Lambert on March 14, 2011. He's our 17th artist. We had a really great conversation. Steve's a pretty funny guy, so I hope you enjoy it. For listeners who haven't seen I Want You to Have This, could you start off by explaining the piece? It is a wooden box. I'm making, I'm making, uh, I'm draw, I'm kind of drawing it out with my hands right now, which also isn't helping. But uh, it's a small wooden box, and on the lid is printed, "I want you to have this," and uh, and then inside are extra little hang tags that say, "I want you to have this." What's your thinking behind it? Well, uh, there are like three reference points for me. One, and this is in those annotated links that I'm working on. But um, one is a few years ago, Amy Sedaris w- had that book on entertaining. Mm-hmm. I like listen to a lot of radio uh-huh. um, from traveling. Like I constantly have headphones in and like listening to interviews and stuff and whatever radio shows and things like that. So anyway, she was on one and she had all of these like entertaining tips. And there are, some of them are really funny and crazy, like putting marbles in your medicine cabinet. So when someone opens <laughs> your medicine cabinet, you can tell and it's really embarrassing. It makes all this noise. <laughs> but one of them was having an indoor garage sale, which hmm. for her, it was like this table in your entryway. This is how I remember it, at least. I'm trying to track down this audio and I can't really find it. But this table that had like all the stuff that you didn't want anymore for like 25 cents and <laughs> I thought that was great and uh, I think around that time I was moving a lot and uh, you know between 2004 and now I don't know how many times I've moved it's been almost like once a year or once every two years at most and uh, so you're like constantly purging extra stuff and one of the ways I would do it is when friends would come over Okay, I want you to have this thing. I'll be right back. <laughs> and I would go into the other room and then just try to find something. And <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was like a challenge, you know, like, what can I let go of in here? Because I can't keep all this stuff, you know. So I would just kind of scan the room really quickly and grab some plants or like plants are easy or like a book that I never started reading or um yeah, uh, I don't know, just something, and I'd be like, "Hey, here it is," you know. And then they would automatically like assign some kind of meaning to it, like, "Oh, you thought I would want this because of some conversation that we had that you don't <laughs> actually remember," um, <laughs> you know? Or like, I was just they like they would make the connection, which was awesome. And um, and then sometimes they would just be like, "Why are you giving me this?" <laughs> But more often than not, they would figure out some reason that I would be giving it to them. And then everyone was happy. And um, yeah, uh, yeah, that's kind of the thinking, I guess. You've worked with text quite a bit. And as someone who struggles with words myself, I'm always impressed with people who aren't afraid of using them. How much does it matter to you to get the right words? 
fucking important. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was going to say, it's not easy. What do you mean? <laughs> um, yeah, I struggle too because it's, yeah, it's got to be right, you know. But yeah, That's I cool. have all these notebooks that are just like full of like signs that I think at one moment I was like yeah this is a great idea mm-hmm. and then they sometimes will just never turn into anything or you know what I mean like yeah. phrases yeah. or something where yeah. it's like oh, yeah. it's trying to get it right and it's not really right. right and then it takes a long time sometimes yeah there's this thing you know John Rubin's billboard the waffle shop billboard yeah so he's renting it out for a hundred bucks a week. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. So there was this one that I had, which is it's time to fight and it's time to stop fighting, which in my mind just makes so much sense, but I know it doesn't really, it doesn't communicate it quite, you know, it's not like super clear right. and it, it's like a great way to end a story or something or like a speech. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Which is the, the speech is in my head and not not in anyone else's, and uh, <laughs> that's why it doesn't work as a phrase. But for a hundred bucks on John Rubin's billboard, and I just figured I'd try it out. Sure. Yeah. But you know that might turn into something else later. So anyway, I struggle too with it. It's hard. Yeah. So your recent work at Charlie James Gallery are these big blinking text signs directing the viewer to do different things or they're simple statements using the language of advertisement. Mm-hmm. Um, can you talk about your use of directives and signs in your work and how you change the medium for the different messages? I don't know. I, I think the, the stuff in lights, it's starting to bl- blend into each other, but the stuff that looks like signs is more like from the voice of this incredibly pathetic, desperate, you know, business or something, or like sign itself just wants your attention. Mm -hmm. Um, And the stuff on paper was more like things I might say to myself or um, sometimes a lot of it's just experiments, you know, but like, some of those signs too were like, all right, if someone has to hang this, if someone gets to hang this in their house, then what other, what, let me think of how to put this. Like they can't just have it, right? Like they can't just get this, buy this thing and have it, mm-hmm. but there's, there's some obligation that goes along with it. Hmm. So one I made, that's a really good example of this, um, a few years ago said, it's just a big white, big piece of paper that said, we fucking here. <laughs> <laughs> so if you hang it in your house, you kind of, <laughs> right. you, you, you're accepting like, that burden. Right. <laughs> yeah. That like when you give a tour of your house, it's like, eh. and there was another one that was like, we have had sex in this room. And then, and then an, it was two signs. And, and the other one said, we have had sex in this room also. <laughs> you would just put them in rooms in your house. Yeah. <laughs> So you couldn't just have the thing. And because um, there's part of me that's like really uncomfortable with um, someone just being able to buy my work and not understand it or something or not. Uh, like they can just pay money and have it. And it's like, no, you have to do more than pay money. 
you know, even though I haven't quite been able to solve that with everything, but you have to do part of it or you have to do something in response or, um, you know, but you can't just buy it. And so that's come out in a few different projects. Yeah. I've seen, I've seen that one, the piece of yours, it's like, it's all about power or something. I think it's yeah, yeah, yeah. And I always, it's about power. Yeah, yeah. It's about, and whenever I see it, I'm always trying to imagine like who buys that, like who's the, like the person who buys that is going to be sort of perfect. It seems like <laughs> they want a giant sign on their wall that says it's about power. Like, I don't know. Well, that's like an activist thing where they're like, if we can get to the person in power and reach them, then, you know, we can leverage that. Or it can be about dominate, dominating, you know, like on the other side too. And lawyers really like that sign just in general. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's People that I know are, who are lawyers have seen it are like, I want that over my desk, <laughs> you know? Yeah. As someone who's made a lot of social practice and public work what is it like now working with galleries and selling your work yeah i hadn't really the the i had sold a few drawings at the luggage store in like 2004 but um and you know random little things but i hadn't had like a solo gallery show until 2009 and um well what's it like actually doing that it's like it's kind of great <laughs> you know? yeah. like, right. um, to have a place where I can put the stuff that people are going to consciously spend time and make an effort and are like going out to look at artwork instead of me trying to stop them on the street and get their attention and get them to think about it for a minute like they go there with the intention to think about it hmm. that's pretty luxurious in a way like I don't have to make work that reads at 60 miles an hour mm. uh, it can be something that you kind of over time are like oh and then there's that part you know um, or I don't know I guess to me I just think about like it's an opportunity to be in another venue and not even just in that gallery but like in someone's home so um, that it's about power piece you know I don't know where that ends up but like I have some kind of influence there you know mm -hmm. and um one of the cash reward signs i mean i'm still not this is the part that's kind of weird and i'm not sure that i like it but ended up um i mean i took it and installed it in a uh what, what like a i forgot the guy's title um because i don't know banking but <laughs> it was like a a fund manager that's it this guy was a fund manager <clears throat> and had this big office in his home and all kinds of like crazy super expensive artworks mm. um like a really nice art collection that now i snuck into but um <laughs> you know this sign that to me uh like he's reading it and he's reading it he understood my meaning and then he has his own mm. um, and brought it into this really complicated place where, you know, they're like bankers watching stocks all day long and in charge of all these people's investments, you know. So, um, but, you know, I don't make work for, the other side of it is like, I don't make, I don't ever intend to make work for bankers, you know. <laughs> That's not the audience I have in my mind when I make something and I, I lose control of it when it gets sold, 
You know, I can't right. I can't pick who it gets sold to. Though I'm working on that. I'm <laughs> I'm gonna have some pieces soon that subvert that whole thing. So uh, I'll just tell you. <laughs> so I'm gonna be making these pieces. I think one's just gonna say tell the truth, and for it'll be like say it's like it would just be really costly to buy, like. Yeah, you know, something I would normally sell for say five thousand dollars, it would be fifteen thousand um, dollars, unless you are a banker, a lawyer, or a politician, and then it's five thousand. But for anyone else, huh. it's more. So it's subsidized, so I can get these messages specifically to those people. Oh wow! <laughs> wow. And you know, who can't pass up a ten thousand dollar discount? You know, <laughs> that's right. But you know when you're when you're giving away, you know, you've made some work that you give away for free, do you screen the people that you're giving it away to? No. I mean, I I I have a really um I'm very optimistic about people, like until they show me that they're otherwise like I kind of assume the best. Yeah. Sometimes it's a fault of mine, you know. So like the banker guy, like I don't really know him. I met him for like two hours. He seemed okay, you know. Um, he could be a real jerk, you know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I didn't really follow up and like research the guy or anything, but you know, I saw enough to be like, all right, he has our collection. You know, he seemed to sort of understand the purpose of this piece, not the same way that I intended it, but you know, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. And uh, so. Yeah, you know, I don't know. And also, I was like, I was a dumb jerk, <laughs> you know, at one point. <laughs> Some would say I still am. Um, what appeals to you about giving your work away? I mean, maybe specific specific projects. Like, at art, I just, I wanted that to exist. And... Uh, for years, I tried to like figure out a way for it to work, and it took it me a long time and a lot of work to actually get it to work and working with a lot of people. But um, in the end, like there were other people that wanted to see it happen and were willing to support it. So I got a Rhizome Commission grant for it, and I got um, the folks at Wooster Collective, Mark and Sarah Schiller, like donated a substantial amount of money to sort of help get it off the ground and pay artists to show work for like the first three years or something. Mm. So, um, so I, and you know, I, I don't need to make like, also that project wouldn't work if I tried to make it, make you pay for it. Right. No one, like there's like 15,000 people that use it on a regular basis about, you know, and there would no, there's no way there would be 15,000 people using it if they all had to pay a dollar. Right. And, um, and I made, I mean, I didn't make, I didn't really make money from it, but like I got the money I needed to do it. Um, it's never going to make me rich. And so I don't ever really consider that as an option. And like with self-control, I paid out of pocket to have a, I kind of designed it and had someone else build it. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was $135. And uh, the kid who made it is named Charlie Stigler, and he lives, uh, he goes to high school in Los Angeles. I think he's just finishing his senior year now. So he was like a sophomore when he made it. And he was like stoked to get 100 
135 bucks. <laughs> hey, that's and I've, I've since given him more money because people donate money. And he was like, you don't have to, don't send me the money. We should use it to make something else. Oh, wow. And um, yeah, and I, and I was like, no, Charlie, I'm going to send you the money. You know, <laughs> like, it's okay. You can take this. Um, but, uh, you know, again, it's the same thing. Like if we tried to sell that thing, not as many people would use it. And I get emails all the time from grad students and like kids that are uh, finishing up law degrees or, you know, medical doctor degrees that are like, you're saving my, <laughs> like, I'm going to be past my finals because of this and stuff. Oh, wow. And really, I didn't, I didn't ever think that that, that is one of the most, top two most popular projects I've ever made. Wow. Um, and I get enough where it's like kind of annoying the amount of emails I get about it like that aren't there's the 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 nice ones are nice but it's like how do you do this and it's like just you know that's around with it it's not that hard there's like one button you know <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean I guess I don't I don't see it the same way that other people do it's like it was this thing that I wanted that I couldn't believe existed. So I paid a hundred bucks to have it made because I wanted it. And then I was like, well, I'm not just going to keep this. I'll, I'll let other people use it. And I just never expected that it would be so popular. Hmm. And it's like, it gets news media, like every it's consistently January 1st, there's something about new year's resolutions. And oh, so wow. me like for, you know, I think it was in parade magazine or something. <laughs> you know? Um, and so they'll write about like these are the things you can do to help you get more done this year. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's. Uh... Oh, and then there's these people too. I mean, the the nice thing about it is it's like a very successful, another very successful and popular open source project. But I've found out that people don't understand what that means. So they'll think of it like a product, and that and that I'm the customer service. You know, mm. so it doesn't happen as often. But they'll say, like, you should make it do this, right? Like, you should, if you want more customers, you should do this. And I'm like, if you want it to do that, you, the code is there and you, could, you can do that. Yeah. Or you can pay someone to do it. And if, if it's really good, maybe we'll put it in the next release. But don't, like, you have, it's sort of like a sense of agency. Like, if I don't like this thing, I can change it, which we don't really have with, all software <laughs> you know right. like if you don't like the way photoshop works you can't change it mm -hmm. um at, at like a fundamental level right right and or you and most of us like i don't really know how to program really you know and um so but i i could i can't hire someone to be like i don't like the way photoshop works i want to do this other thing can you change it so we don't have that freedom right and with this you do and what i found is like how much people just don't that that um, mindset or um, perspective is like they just don't even feel like they have the ability to do something like that. Mm -hmm. It's kind of yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you you've worked in you sort of have run the gamut as far as like financial stability. It seems like you know you've you you're you're a professor. Well, I don't really know what your financial situation is, but you you've done sort of like all the all the artist things. You know, you've gotten residencies, you teach in an art school, you've gotten grants, you sell in a gallery. 
you know, do you, <laughs> is there an ideal? Can you because you're good at utopias? <laughs> is there an ideal way for artists to support themselves? I'm just reconciling like this portrait you've painted of me <laughs> and how I imagine myself in I don't my think mind. It's a bad one. I think it's great. No, I mean, but you know, like my partner and I talk about like having a it's like having an outdated view of yourself mm-hmm. so in my mind I'm like broke and hustling you know <laughs> and then like every I'm doing my taxes I'm like what how <laughs> you know <laughs> like how I'm not broke you know yeah um and I'm not like you know swimming in money or something but um you know, like I can pay my bills and I can, like when my, if something breaks, like I can fix it. And, um, uh, that's nice. Right. Yeah. So, um, so anyway, so when you say all that stuff, I'm like, no, no, I don't know. I don't know how to do that. <laughs> um, and you know, like I had that headlands residency this last summer and I applied like six times. The first time I applied was 10 years ago. Right. And, um, and you know, it's just like it's like, oh yeah, I guess I am one of those people that got it now after being for ten years not being that person, you know. Yeah. Um, so anyway, it's a little strange, but um, what's the best way to make money? They all have they all have trade offs. I, I actually, a few years ago, I mean, I got really lucky. I know I got lucky. I know I also worked my ass off, but. Um, uh, with the Ibeam Fellowship and the moment that I got it was really good. So I, I um, because of the financial crisis at the time, this is just a weird sort of story, but um, Ibeam was going to move their building one block over and build this whole new building. This was like in planned for, we were going to move in October of 2009 or 2008, right? Right before everything that first crash happened mm-hmm. more the first most recent crash um and uh so we were like getting ready to pack all the labs and everything and that summer jeff kraus and i had agreed to be these sort of senior fellows that would oversee this transition and move through the next year bringing in new people so that there would be some continuity with the fellows. And the fellowship there is like incredibly supportive, probably the most supportive kind of artist residency. I would argue the most supportive artist residency kind of situation in the United States. Um, Yeah, it's like they pay your salary. At the time, they paid your salary. They paid materials. They paid a decent amount. They expected you to be there four days a week. So if you wanted to have like a one day teaching job you could do that mm. and uh and then there was like a sort of in um actually in the whole world there's like for media art kinds of things which i was a left field entry for that there the people from the i forget the names of all the labs but like media lab prado and like from spain and austria and whatever would move through there and um you'd meet all these people so it was amazing but jeff kraus and i ended up and this will probably be the only time that ever happens. Ended up there for four years because mm-hmm. when the financial crash or when that when the the first crash happened, they didn't have the bank wouldn't lend the money to to move the building. 
so then they had no fellows except for Jeff and I and um, a couple other ones I think for that next year mm. and mm. no no the move wasn't happening so we stayed on and then we stayed on again so we could kind of overlap with the new people so anyway I got super lucky and then that turned into other stuff I forgot I was telling you something about money <laughs> um, the question was like <laughs> of all your experience doing every possible thing that artists do to make money what's, have, which one including is giving what's away stuff for free and then sometimes people donate to you yeah one. yeah oh so so that was that was probably the best um was like working for ibeam and ibeam also was set up and it's cha- it's changing i don't know how much it's still true but like where the artists, when I came in, I was in the open lab, and and you could do whatever you wanted as long as what you released, whatever you did, into the, you know, with an open license or into the public domain. So we were sort of like, one idea is that we are the R and D lab for, like, everyone else, you know. So like Ford has an R and D lab for Ford, <laughs> and um, you know, there's like an R and D lab for media companies or electronics companies or something, and we're the R and D lab for the rest of the world. <laughs> Um, and coming up with weird projects and stuff. And some of them were just the kernel of an idea and some were like fully flushed out. Um, but anyway, it's, it was great in a very supportive environment and like unlike anything else and probably isn't even like that anymore. Um, so, so it's a great story and a sad story. Um, <laughs> but they're still there and they're still very supportive. It's just not at the level it was. Um, and... Uh, so that was a good one, but everything else, even there, you know, there were like trade-offs, right? So, um, you when you sell work in a gallery, it's, you know, so sometimes you don't always like the people that buy the work, um, or like you end up you. There is a pressure, you know, like Charlie calls me and is like, "Can you make these things faster? <laughs> Can you make some new stuff for this fair in March?" And it's like February. And I'm like, no, you know. <laughs> Um, and then with teaching, it's like, it's great. And I love it. Um, and it's really awesome seeing like 15 people like pick something up or like be exposed to an idea that you can tell is having an impact, but it like takes, it's a big part of the day and it can be deceptively creative and deceptively rewarding where like, you know, it's great to, to have all that happen, but there's other things like that is not the ultimate goal for my life. The ultimate goal also is not to sell work. It's not to, you know, I mean, there's these sort of much bigger things that all of these ways of making money you can kind of get lost in. And so mm-hmm. it takes a sort of discipline of like pulling back and getting perspective and making sure that you're ultimately doing what you want to do. And for me, it's like even figuring out what the sort of ultimate big thing is, is really tricky. It's like, I want people to be I want utopia you know like that's what I want and so making sure that the opportunities that come are like leading towards these this sort of vague idea of what I want right right it's tricky yeah we're going back to I want you to have this um, mm-hmm. 
one of the things that we liked about this project was that it's a proposal for a future tradition, sort of. It's <laughs> in, in, in this new world, we take a bottle of wine to a dinner party, but we also leave with a bottle of shampoo or a picture frame or something. Um, <laughs> you've created an art practice out of envisioning alternative futures or presence, but also creating tools that move us towards that vision. How important is it to associate that vision with a tangible product? Does that make sense? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's a good question. I mean, I think that kind of thing is really important where like having this box makes a big difference of whether or not this will happen. Um, and I, I often will think about like, what do I want people to do differently um, as a result of like seeing this or think differently or like who's going to who's going to encounter this and what do i want them to sort of take away from it what do i want them to think differently and what do i want them to do sort of differently as a result and um in this case it would be say to like give away some of their stuff <laughs> um but it's also i mean there's a selfish part of it too right so like what are the and that goes into like what are the obstacles that would prevent someone from doing this and um one is like uh, there's just not enough reward, you know. Like if if you just mailed things to people or something, you wouldn't be able to see their face, and you have to go to the post office, and you know. So like, how do you clear away as many obstacles as possible, and how do you create rewards for doing what, doing this new thing? And so to me, this box is like cl partly clearing away some of the obstacles. It just makes it really easy. Whenever you remember or see something that you're like, oh yeah. That's something I don't want to quite give it away or throw it away to anyone. I give it away to anyone or throw it away. I, I want someone specific to have it or that wants it, put it in the box, you know, or like attach the tag to it. Um, and that's all you got to do, really. And you don't even have to really remember, like, when someone comes over, they're going to be like, what's in the box, you know? Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, I mean, to me, it was like important that it not be transparent or something. Because if you could see what's inside, part of it is just the surprise of lifting the cover off and seeing what's in there, and it makes whatever's in there more exciting. So, yeah, maybe I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Mustard <laughs> packets. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, I guess. <laughs> it's Dijon. <laughs> really good mustard. <laughs> Uh, one of your new projects is the School for Creative Activism. It's a, yeah. it's a participatory workshop infusing community organizing and civic engagement with culture and creativity. Um, can you talk about this? Yeah, so this is the kind of thing where like I'm realizing this is what I think is really important, you know, like the other stuff is important too, but this is really something I should be working on. Um, Steve Duncombe and I have like gravitated more and more towards each other. Um, he wrote a book called Dream Reimagining Progressive Politics in an Age of Utopia. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was at IBM, I was talking about some ideas or something I had and people kept telling me, you have to read this book, you have to read this book. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had it on my desk and Steve was like nice enough to show up to a project that I did. and. Someone introduced me to him, and I was like, "Oh, I have your book. I haven't read it." You know? 
And um, it just came out of my mouth, like, it's sitting on my table. It was like a really dumb thing to say to someone who re- took the time to write a whole book, you know. Like, yeah, I bought it. it just, I've been really busy, you know. Um, but he laughed. <laughs> it's better than nothing. Yeah, and, um, and, he, and he was like, don't read it, because right now it'll be great. And when you read it, <laughs> it'll sort of shatter the illusion. <laughs> So anyway, he's written essays for um, catalog, uh, essay for a catalog that we did, and then um, we came up with this idea to. Um, well, he has sort of a sociology background. I have a much less. Uh, he has a doctorate. I found out this weekend. He does, he never calls himself Doctor Stephen Duncombe, but <laughs> I was like, what? You know. So anyway, he he has a serious sociology sociology background. I took a few classes in community college. You know. Um, and and then my master's, but um, anyway, he uh, he has that, and then also activist background, and uh, and enough where like he got tired of meetings and wanted to make it more fun, and um, worked with Andrew Boyd, who did the Billionaires Against Bush or Billionaires for Bush, sorry, mm-hmm. and um, and wrote this book, and then I have this sort of sociology background and an art background and a sort of you know, with some dabbling in things that have purpose and um, been to a, a march or a protest or two. And uh, and so we were talking about activist art and, like, how do you tell if it's what the, that it worked or not, you know, and, like, these mm-hmm. sort of problems that come up where some, if you do this kind of work, there's two really big pitfalls on either side of the spectrum. And one is, imagining that you're really great at it and um, that you kind of I made this poster and as a result everything changed you know (laughs) Um, I put it up and people will see it and then the revolution will come you know Um, and then the other side is like you do something and then you're really not sure what it does and uh, so as it, it instead of like becoming delusional, which is like one end, the other side is like completely kind of depressed and burned mm-hmm. out because you're like, I keep doing this stuff and the war keeps happening, you know? Um, Sometimes and, it seems like it's getting worse. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like both sides are, are, either way isn't good. And so how do you measure how the effectiveness of what you're doing and in a really in a more accurate way so you can be be the best you know like be do your best and mm-hmm. have as much impact as you possibly can hmm. so we started interviewing artists about it and then we put together the first thing that we did at IBM was called the college for tactical culture and it was just bringing together artists designers activists architects to talk about what they did that worked and um, just sort of trading tricks of the trade and uh it went really well so we that's what's become the school for creative activism and it's a bigger thing that we're working on is a center for artistic activism that will sort of help activists use culture and creativity in their work so instead of just like changing a law like if you don't change a culture along with the law that it doesn't really matter you know um what the what the new law is if the culture remains the same. Mm-hmm. And like I keep going back to 
George Lakoff, who's at UC Berkeley, who's a linguist that talks about language, you know, and and how language sets up these frames that we see issues, and that by using different language, you can sort of expand the frame and complicate the way that something's being presented or completely shift the way that it's presented. And all those things are important, and but they have to do with, like, persuasion and and persuading someone that one way is better than the other. And to me, the like utopia idea is like framing would be like where it is left and right um, or like kind of on this X and Y axis, you know, mm-hmm. and um, where an issue lands, whether it's free or less free or, you know, um, more conservative or more liberal or something like that. But utopia is like the Z axis, you know, <laughs> and it's like, what if we went over here, you know, and that's what I think that artists are really good at sort of presenting is like ways that people aren't even thinking about doing something or just completely shifting your perspective out of those sort of binary or or flat ways of looking at something into a completely new and different way of looking at something that either shows how pathetic and lame you know it is to even be talking about that um, and say like I'm not going to have that discussion this is really about something else um, or to present an entirely different way that we can live. And so to me, like the arts are really valuable in that way. And this, the way that they can come together isn't just about persuasion and how we can do a better job at designing, you know, images or something like that, but to like showing an entirely different way that we can live. That's pretty amazing because we always enter end our interviews with this doozy of a question of what is the value of art and you just did it right by yourself (laughs) 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 all right (laughs) so thank you all right good luck making me sound brilliant